we're going to wrap up this little bit called Follower. We'll come back to it in 2022, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We kind of cracked open anger a little bit last week, and we're still in chapter 5. You, you can read the whole Sermon on the Mount in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. You can read chapter 5 in about two or three minutes. But Jesus touches on anger, and I think it's probably pretty appropriate for uh, this moment in our culture, even this moment in the middle of, uh, you know, as we approach the holidays, you're going to spend some time with some family this week, read into that whatever you want to, okay? Uh, but I think it's good for us to probably touch on this and then dig a little bit on what he's going to say near the end of the chapter. Uh, this week, as I was, all this was on my mind, thinking about this and sermon and things we're teaching on. I was on my way to church, just from the house. I live um, just right down the street, uh, Wolfensburger. So I came down Wolfensburger, getting ready to turn on Park Street, pulled up behind a car at the, at the red light there, right by McDonald's. I like it when the light's red because I get to smell the French fries. And so um, I'm not eating many of them these days, so it's nice to smell them. I pulled up behind a car and I looked up at the car and this was the bumper sticker on the car in front of me. And I thought, this is my immediate thought. I thought, man, that escalated quickly. <laughs> we, we, we don't even know each other's names. And this is, I mean, there, thankfully there wasn't anything else on the back of the car, like a, you know, a little ichthus or my boss is a Jewish carpenter or, you know, follow me to church or anything like that. So, and I don't know how you feel about any of these issues, but when I saw this and they, they were first in line, I was second in line, I thought, I mean, if the light turns green, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. How long will I sit, you know, before I wave or honk? I'm not going to honk. I'm just going to sit here all day. I could just we could be here a long time. Thankfully, they just kind of moved on their way. This is what I thought, of, of course. Not only did that escalate quickly, but anger always escalates, doesn't it? it? Anger moves from one issue to another. And it might be unusual for us to imagine that Jesus, even when he taught about it, anger in the Sermon on the Mount, that he connected the idea of murder and anger together, but it's really not that unusual, is it? I mean, you read headlines today, and you can see why Jesus got there. You could look at ancient history, and even in the very first family, you've got Cain and Abel, you know, with their, their fiasco and their deal that leads from jealousy and other intense emotion to murder. You've got Moses, God's selected one to lead his people out of slavery. He has a, a very angry and some would call justice moment, but not so much for the Egyptian who found himself murdered at Moses' hands. And so when Jesus connects anger and murder, uh, we, we get it. We get it. And it makes sense to us. Now, if we're going to go, this is where we were last week, so you can listen to last week if you want, but if we're going to go where Jesus wants to take us for the rest of chapter 5, he's got a couple things he wants to say still in the Sermon on the Mount about anger and relationships. If we're going to go, there are two ideas that we need to grab hold of and, and hang on to them because they're going to help us find our way, okay? And, and the first is what I already mentioned, that, that anger escalates, and it's not just anger, but it's really any intense emotion. But we'll say for our purposes today, anger escalates and it, you find yourself from annoyed to irritated, exasperated, outraged. And you move along this, but so do the people that you're interacting with and engaged with. Somebody says something to you that feels like it's, a, it's irritable or it's a critique or it pokes you in a place that you don't want to be poked. And your desire is to smack them back a little bit, probably a little harder than you got smacked. Just so that they learn. I mean, how else will they learn, right? 
I mean, our feeling about anger is that, look, if I don't express myself, how can somebody know what's really going on here emotionally between us? Why would they act that way? Why would they treat me this way? Why would they speak to me this way? Why would they disregard me? I was next in line. You, you fill in the blank the moment that you feel some level of annoyed or irritated. And our feeling is that if they didn't understand, let me help them understand. And I'll make them understand by the way I act or the way I speak or the what I, thing I do. Whatever it is that communicates to them you need to knock this off. Don't do it anymore. And this is our feeling that it is that way because of what we're experiencing. But that's not what Jesus teaches. That's not what he says. What Jesus says, and he makes it very clear that, that the anger that we feel, the emotion that we feel is in here, and so is the problem. The problem is in here as well. And so Jesus is going to describe a path for us But for us to understand why this path is even viable, we have to grasp this. It escalates. Anger always escalates. It always leads to a more intense, a louder, more aggressive response. And that's important. It's important to know. Here's the second thing that you need to grasp if we're going to follow Jesus where he's going to take us. And it's this. Jesus says, but I tell you that, say it with me in the yellow, really? Anyone who is angry. And so he makes an assumption when he teaches this. And the assumption that he makes is, is that if you're angry, you know you're angry. And that's a pretty big assumption because there are a lot of us that are walking around and we're angry. We just don't even know it. And maybe that's you. Sometimes it's me. When Don and I were raising the boys, they were little. uh, This would often occur in our family moments together. Maybe we'd be in the car, we'd drive somewhere, maybe we picked up the boys from school or, you know, we're on a vacation or something like that. And I'd enter into a conversation with the boys about anything. It didn't really matter what the subject was because this could happen with most any subject. And sometime during that conversation, Donna would reach over and, and put her hand on my knee and give it a little squeeze. You know, I, I thought she was flirting, but... Uh, <laughs> About the sixth time that happened, you know, she squeezed a little harder or she would say, do you understand what I'm doing when I do that? This was away from the boys, of course. And I'd say, yeah, I think I know what you're doing. She said, not that. I'm not doing that. (laughs) And she would say, look, sometimes when you interact with the boys, your voice, you know, changes and you get a little bit intense and it feels like you're angry. And I would say, I'm not angry. Just like that, usually. And in this interaction, Donna would say, so it, 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 you may not know that that the boys are feeling interrogated when this happens. And I would say, well, I'm just asking questions, which is another word for being interrogated, right? And so it took me a while to learn that sometimes my feelings are happening and I'm unaware of how they appear. I have them, and she would say, didn't you feel yourself getting a little, well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, mostly I just wanted them to quit doing what they were doing. Exactly. And so we learned that our emotions sometimes show up and we have a a lack of awareness about them. When Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone is angry, it's important to know that he's assuming that you know you're angry, that you know you're anxious, that you know you have worry operating. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, he'll talk about that. And your awareness of that very thing, that very truth, that very reality is critical 
for this to even make sense to you at all. If you don't know it, in fact, you could even say that really what Jesus meant was, but I tell you, anyone who's aware that they're angry, same thing. It's the exact same idea. Because without awareness, well, like I said, we think the problem's out there. It's how they're acting. It's what they did. It's how they're believing. It's how they're voting. It's how they're acting. It's how they treated me. But Jesus always through the Sermon on the Mount says, look, the problem isn't out there. The problem is here. It's you. So let's deal with you, and then we'll figure out the rest of it. But right now, we're going to talk about you. That's what Jesus does over and over and over again. So we have a fancy psychology term for this. We, we, we have labeled it. Psychologists have named it and written a big body of literature about it. We call it emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence means that you can see somebody's facial contortion and you know what emotion they're thinking and feeling. Emotional intelligence means that you know how to interact with those emotions as you interact with each other. And it also means that when you have a feeling, you, because of your God-given capacity to have awareness, you know that you have that feeling and it's in operation while it's happening, almost as if you're watching a movie of your own life. You observe it and you see it. And even if you don't catch it immediately, you're going to maybe a little slow to the party like me. You're going to show up eventually and go, boy, that, that's, that's new. That's something I'm feeling. I didn't know that was going on. The best illustration of this in recent years, well, of course, it's a Pixar movie. So this is one of my favorite Pixar movies. We, we start watching Pixar movies right when they started with Finding Nemo, right? You remember this? Our boys were little and we watched them all. We love the Pixar movies, but... Just not too many years ago, five, six, seven years ago, this movie came out, Inside Out. And it describes emotional intelligence in one of the most powerful, simple, easy to understand ways. It's really, it's really beneficial for those of us who struggle with this a little bit. So it's really a basic story. The plot's not complicated. It's pretty simple. Uh, it's a mom and a dad and a daughter, and they, they go through some things in their life, and that's really the plot. And <laughs> the characters of the, of the movie, though, are not these. These are the characters that live inside the people's heads. They're the emotions that they have. So the mom has all five of these in her heads, or six of them, no, there's five. And the dad has that many, and, and they're all the same in each of their heads. They represent these emotions. This will show you a little bit clearer, more simple. And you could maybe guess based on their countenance what they are. You might miss a couple. This, of course, is anger. It's really good. This is, uh, you know, fear or worry, anxiety. This is joy. Uh, this one, this one you don't really think about as an emotion, but it's disgust. It's really good. It's amazing how often we're disgusted. And then over here, sadness. And they, they all live inside the heads of these, these people, this mom, this dad, and this little girl. And they experience these emotions. It's almost as if when you see them operating with these emotions, it's almost as if they're completely different people. Does that sound familiar? You've seen it and you've felt it. And the way they characterize it, well, it makes even the densest of us tap into our understanding of emotions. So the, the trailer really paints a good picture. Let's take a look. So, how was the first day of school? It was fine, I guess. I don't know. Do you ever look at someone and wonder, what is going on inside their head? Did you guys pick up on that? Sure mm -hmm. did. Something's wrong. We're going to find out what's happening. 
but will need support. Signal the husband. Uh-oh, she's looking at us. What did she say? What? Oh, oh, sorry, sir. No one's listening. Is it garbage night? Uh, we left the toilet seat up. What? What is it, woman? What? Signal him again. <laughs> ah, so, Riley, how was school? Oh, you gotta be kidding me. For this, we gave up that Brazilian helicopter pilot? What was that? I thought you said we were gonna act casual. Riley, is everything okay? <sighs> Sir, she just rolled her eyes at us. All right, make a show of force. I don't want to have to put the foot down. No, not the foot. Riley, I do not like this new attitude. Oh, I'll show you attitude, old no, man. No, 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 breathe. What is your problem? Just leave me alone. Sir, reporting high levels of sass. Take it to DEFCON 2. DEFCON 2. I don't know where this disrespectful attitude came from. You want a piece of this, Pops? Yeah. Well, look. Prepare the foot. Keys to safety position. Ready to launch on your command, sir. Just shut up. Fire. That's it. Go to your room. The foot is down. The foot is down. Woo! Good job, gentlemen. That could have been a disaster. Well, that was a disaster. Come, fly with me, Gachinha. All right, so if you're uh, one of the adults in the room that has a hard time with your emotions or maybe you're unaware of them or often somebody comes alongside you and says, did you know you were feeling and it occurs to you? Maybe I guess I was. It'd be a great movie to watch, great movie and I. Pop some popcorn and watch it. And the benefit to that, of course, is that you increase in your emotional intelligence. This is the assumption that Jesus makes, that when you are feeling a certain thing, you have some awareness of it. Otherwise, you will fix the problem out here, not in here, which we do, don't we? That's how anger becomes a thing. And when anger is a part of the equation, it escalates. And so, if you keep these two thoughts in mind, anger escalates and emotional awareness is going to be key. If you allow those two things to kind of stick with you, kind of just hang on to them, hold them tight, then what Jesus says is going to make an awful lot more sense to you. And so Jesus now is going to come back to the anger and the relationship thing. And when he does, this is what he says. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And if your Bible has a reference thing or a little letter by that, it's going to see, it's going to point you to a few places in the Old Testament that Jesus is quoting. It's a part of the law. This is justice. This is what justice looks like. If someone takes something from you, you are compensated or given back that very same thing. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You can imagine how difficult it would be to, in the Jewish system, be sure that justice happens. And as we said last week and the week before, Jesus is going to say, you have heard it said, but I say to you, not because he's changing the law, it's because he's telling you the heart of the law. God isn't two people. There isn't an Old Testament God and a New Testament God, one that's all about justice and one that's all about grace. It's the same God. We've just misunderstood him in both places, misunderstood the very nature of who God is and how he operates. And Jesus comes along to clear that up. And he says, you've heard it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And then this is what he says. In fact, let's just all say this together, okay? Shall we? But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. 
If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So you've read this, but even if you didn't know Matthew or the Sermon on the Mount or even anything about Jesus, you've heard the phrase, turn the other cheek. And this is where it comes from, from what Jesus teaches. And so if we're going to at least have a beginning of where to start with this idea. Remember, we're talking about anger and relationships and offense and how it escalates and our emotional awareness of it. If we're going to at least begin, we have to at least admit I believe intellectually and emotionally that this is a horrible idea. Don't we? I mean, you, you think it's a horrible idea, don't you? Come on, let's be honest. Who thinks it's a horrible idea? Let me see your hands. Right. So let's at least start there. Because if we don't start there, if you don't at least admit that this seems like, not just seems like, it just is, a horrible idea. If you don't start there, then you won't be intellectually honest enough to pick it apart or ask the questions why or even address it. And I guarantee you it won't find its way into your relationship ethics at all. And so the best you'll do is just sort of grin and bear it, buckle down, try not to hit too hard or whatever it is that you're going to respond with when it comes to anger. Because remember, anger does what? Escalates. Always. Always course it's a bad idea. My dad was a gentle man, uh, engineer, uh, you know, so he's up in his head a lot, very trained, very thoughtful, very logical. He also had an emotional side, I think probably a frustrated pastor to some degree, worked as an engineer his whole life though, grew up a, a, a solid, strong, devoted Methodist, and he had three boys, us three boys. I think he knew his boys weren't going to make it in life by brawn. I mean, we're not big fellas. Um, it wouldn't be our physical presence that, that cowered people into submission, so he taught us to be smart and wily. And uh, the way he taught us to handle bullies or people who would be aggressive with us was very plain and very simple. He gave the same advice and teaching and instruction to all three of us boys. And he said this, here's how you deal with a bully. Come face to face with a bully, square your feet up, face them with your head up, and before they touch you, you take your right arm back as far as it will go and hit them square in the middle of the face. That's what I want you to do. And of course, me as a young boy, I thought, okay, dad, that's what we'll do. That's what I'm going to do. That's, you, you, my dad said to do it. I'm imagining dad doing this. Hard to imagine. I can't imagine me doing it. In fact, I, I get nervous even describing it. I just can't even fathom doing this. My dad knew the words of Jesus. He'd read Matthew 5. Grew up a Methodist. They're very pacifist. And dad says, if you drop him first, you'll never be bothered again by any bully in the whole school. And I thought, this sounds like great advice. So now I have two boys. I'm going to teach them how to deal with this. And now I'm reading Matthew 5. And I think, well, Jesus, this just seems like a horrible idea. I don't think that's going to work at all because what happens when I get slapped on the cheek and I offer my other? Well, there's a good chance I am going to get absolutely slapped again. I mean, I only have two to offer. What do I offer after that? And it feels like I'm walking into a situation where Jesus doesn't want, what, doesn't want at all what's best for me. I definitely want what's best for me. And so theologians over the years have struggled with 
this statement of Jesus is more than any other. They can explain away all kinds of teachings of Jesus, and they can explain away this one too. Even Martin Luther uh, of Reformation fame, you know, who kind of in the German Catholic world helped launch the Reformation that led to, you know, all kinds of denominations in the world and a, a revival that spanned the globe. Even he read these words of Jesus and said, you know, here's what Jesus meant. And when anybody says that, you got to just listen carefully. He said that Jesus was describing how you and I should act in personal relationships. So, you know, a neighbor, a a baker, a, a friend, you know, that sort of thing. If you are personally offended or personally slapped, you should take it. But if you are in a role that is ordained by God, Martin Luther said, then you should respond. In fact, you are duty-bound to respond with violence. That's what Martin Luther said. So what's interesting about that, of course, is he's about to launch him and many, many others. He's just the name that we know, the Reformation. And he knew he was going up against the Catholic Church. What happens when you go up against the Catholic Church and call them into question? Well, he knows his history. Usually murder happens. And so if that's going to happen, then he knows if his movement's got to make any traction at all, it's going to happen with violence. And it did. And he explained away the teachings of Jesus in a way that excused his personal, what he believed, God-ordained agenda. And you and I will do the exact same thing. And so if we're going to be honest, if we're going to take a look at it thoughtfully, then we at least have to initially say that when Jesus says, do not resist an evil person, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also, we at least have to admit that it sounds like a horrible idea. And if we can start there, then we have something to build with. And we'll come to terms with this truth that sometimes what I want for myself and what Jesus wants for myself What I want for me and my life and my relationships and what Jesus wants are sometimes at odds. And if we can start there, then we're beginning to build with something that can make some sense. And if you don't wrestle with this, if you don't at first just out of hand reject it and then decide whether or not it's something that's going to make its way into your relationship ethic, then when push comes to shove metaphorically and literally, you won't even have a chance to respond the way Jesus describes. I mean, you would have to make this decision in the quietness and solitude and thoughtfulness of your own, your own room before it makes its way into your relationships at work or your relationships with the people that really create friction for you. And Jesus says that we are to turn the other cheek. So the question that we would have to ask then is have we ever tried it? Have we ever tried it? The people that have tried it, they report something very unique that happens. When you are face-to-face with a bully, and we know that bully can be an eighth grader or a CEO, that bully can be a neighbor or a friend, that can be a, uh, somebody that you consider to be a peer or underneath you or above you in some social strata, priority strata, authority strata, doesn't matter. When you come face-to-face with somebody who uses anger in an escalation way and you decide to respond differently, something very unique happens. So first, let's name it. What is Jesus saying? What did it mean to turn the other cheek? 
I think he's saying this in these words, that we would de-escalate with kindness. As we said, anger escalates always. It moves from here to here, emotionally intense. A strike turns into a kick. You hit somebody with this weapon, they bring out a bigger weapon. And that can be metaphorically or verbally or emotionally a thousand different ways. Jesus is saying that when we turn to them the other cheek or allow them to have their way in terms of anger or irritation, we are going to de-escalate the situation. But we're doing it with kindness, not with force. We're doing it with love, not with a display of power, authority, or prowess. And when we do that, something unique occurs. The people that have done this well or have a habit of this in their own relationships, what they'll tell you is that the moment somebody slaps or reacts, the moment somebody kicks and you respond with open hands, turning the other cheek or de-escalating with kindness, there's a moral shift that occurs in the relationship. And that moral shift means that you may have been on level ground before or maybe on uneven ground below them, but that moral shift immediately gives the kind person, the moral high ground. In fact, one theologian says it this way, I would rather you hurt me physically than me injure my soul by becoming like you. And in that moment, we surrender. When we surrender, something very unique occurs. Now, it could be that thing that you want to occur isn't going to happen. Might be that you don't get your revenge. Might be that you don't get the deal. Might be that you walk away from the table and you've lost the bargain. It could be that someone has taken advantage of you. And that could be a moment where Jesus wants something very different for you than what you want for yourself. So the question that you would have to ask is, do I want to try it? Is there a a way of living that Jesus describes with this principle that creates for you something that there is no other way for you to get. So when we try it, what happens is we not only trust the words of Jesus, that he does know better for us than we know for ourselves, but it also means that we trust the person of Jesus and we take to him our hurt and our offense, our anger, our justice, our need for emotional vengeance. And instead of me securing it from you, which feels good for about 30 seconds, maybe five minutes, me and Jesus deal with it and I find a peace that can come no other way. In other words, this is what happens when I take my issues of anger or identity or worth to the right place instead of holding you accountable for it. And that's why Jesus says to turn the other cheek. And of course, every great leader, Christian or otherwise, that has learned to practice this has found out that this is absolutely true. Martin Luther King Jr. would be famous for saying that hate always begets hate. That hate's too great of a burden to bear. Only love can solve the problems that we're dealing with. And so Jesus would like to nominate this as an option for your relationship ethic and see if 
you are be, would be willing to try it and give it, a, give it a go. But he's not done. Jesus has a few more things to say about this. And he's really just sort of warming up because he's going to take it a step further. So do not resist an evil person. If he wants to slap you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And then he says this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, say it with me, what? Love your enemies. Now, when Jesus says, love your neighbor, everyone knows what he means. We know that Jesus later is going to redefine what a neighbor is to extend beyond your zip code. But every Jewish man and woman listening to Jesus teach knows that a neighbor is somebody that lives next door to me or lives in proximity to me or looks like me or earns about the same kind of money I earn or has the same color skin as me. And so it would be common for Jewish people to say, sure, I understand why I should love my neighbor. And in your Bible, you see a little reference pointing you to the Old Testament. But he also says that it was said, and hate your enemy. That's a phrase you won't find in Scripture. But it was commonly understood among Jewish people that our enemy is somebody that either occupies our land or thinks differently than us or acts differently than us. And so among Jewish people, they would say, love your neighbor? Sure, yeah, I mean, my goodness sakes, they're fellow Jews. But hate your enemy? That would be commonly understood to be an acceptable mentality or behavior. And so Jesus removes both of those ideas and says, but I tell you, love your enemies. Now, you might be mistaken and think that Jesus is asking you to take one emotion of love and use it to replace an emotion of hate. But you would misunderstand the language completely. It hates the same, whether it's in English or in Greek. It refers to this sort of vehement you know, emotion, this strong, escalated anger emotion. But love is different. In fact, according to the Greek language, love isn't even an emotion. Love, the, Greek in the, the word in the Greek is agape. Say it with me, agape. Yeah, we don't use it much, but if you've been around church, you know the word agape. If you haven't, maybe it's new to you, but it is a Greek word that describes one aspect of love. And Jesus isn't describing eros, another Greek word for love. You could probably figure that out on your own, right? He's not describing a couple other types of love, also described by different Greek words. He very specifically is saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to agape your enemies. And agape means that I do something that is practical and tangible on your behalf for your good will and benefit. That's what agape means. It doesn't have anything to do with feelings or emotions. It's, in fact, not an emotion at all. It means that I will work actively and practically for you, for your benefit. And Jesus isn't about to give you a principle without some ideas. He gets very specific in Matthew 5. He says, look, if somebody sues you and they want your shirt, give them your shirt. And then also turn around and give them your coat. Give them your jacket. I know, that one that was expensive and you ordered it, it took six weeks because it was on a container on the side of L.A. Unbelievable. It took forever to get here. You want me to give that up? Yes, Jesus says, give, give that up. Give it to them. But it's my favorite. And then he says, and it gives an incredible example, illustration of what it means to agape or work on behalf, wanting the goodwill and the benefit of people who we would call enemies. He gives this instruction. If someone asks you to go 
one mile, I want you to go another mile. In fact, we, we've coined this with, a, with this vernacular. We should always go the what? It's all because of what Jesus said. People don't even know Jesus or read any of the Bible. They know that go the extra mile means that, well, I mean, somebody's asked you to do this, but you should go above and beyond. And, and, and I know, I know that, 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 that they even ask is kind of irritating to you, but you should go a little bit further. It's even deeper than that. So, of course, in this time, the Jewish area of Judea and Jerusalem, really all of the Jewish land was occupied by Rome, run by Rome, politicized by Rome, emperor, and so on. A Roman soldier, by law, had the right to come up to any Jewish citizen and say to them as they were making their journey from Athens to Marathon or wherever else, I am tired of carrying all my stuff, all my soldier stuff. I want you to carry it. You carry it for me. By law, the Jewish individual had to carry it, but only for a certain distance. Can you imagine what that distance was? It was what? It was a mile or a mile or what ended up being our word, million, but really it means eight stadia. It's a distance that they had, and in the Greek, it translated to us, mile, eight stadia. It's actually a little bit less than a mile. And they had to carry it one mile. And so they would put it on, carry all the stuff for the Roman soldier, who, by the way, is oppressing all of the Jewish people by virtue of their political prowess and their government. And of course, the Roman soldiers watching the little mile markers, milestones, whatever they had, click off. They get to the eighth stadia, and for some reason, this Jewish man just keeps on walking. And the Roman soldier says, what are you doing? I don't know, something Jesus said. I don't want to do it. But he told me to go the extra mile. And so he does. This is what it means to practical, tangibly love your enemy. And it's in that context that Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek. And in fact, this is what it means to love. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, you and I can't approach this with any intellectual honesty unless we're willing to say, well, first of all, I don't want to do that. And I don't often do that. And when it comes to turning the other cheek, I just think that's a bad business practice. I think all that means is I'll get taken advantage of. I think that what that means is it'll turn me into a doormat. It's just going to hurt me more. And if you can start there, then I think Jesus says to me and to you, well, now we have something to work with. You've quit pretending like a church person. And now we can start. And so do you trust me? Well, it depends on what's happening, Jesus. Do you believe me? Again, circumstantial. Well, why don't we try to do it tomorrow? What if we did that? So let's put your training wheels on. Let's identify some people that are hard to love. Let's try to remember a circumstance when we did not, in fact, turn the other cheek. We took a criticism and then gave sarcasm back. Somebody handed us something we didn't want. We handed back a double portion of something we knew they didn't want. And Jesus is saying, maybe we should try love instead. And for some of us, the challenge is doing all of that while we learn to be in touch with our actual emotions, that we have them, that we know they're there, and we're aware of them. 
And we're okay with asking the people around us, did that seem angry to you? And they say, well, what do you think? And God will grow us to be more like his son in the process, to love with more thought, more care, more practicality, more tangibly. Is this not what the world needs right now? Isn't the hope that the world needs is to see love in action, transforming my heart and your heart, not running our agenda, not doing our thing our way, but allowing the people around us to see God in us. Because we are loved, we can love others. Let me guide you through a prayer that may help us this week. So Lord, we ask in this moment today that you would call to mind some people that are hard for us to love. Lord, we wouldn't even in our own terms call them enemies today. We would just maybe not choose to be around them not want to go to dinner, have a conversation. We silently judge them or we take an approach with them that is less than kind. And Lord, we have a thousand ways of doing this. Sometimes we do it by neglect or avoiding. But Lord, you've called us to love and you've called us to turn the other cheek and you've called us to manage and control our anger. So, Lord, we pray this week that we would not see this as a a pass-fail deal. as something we are either good at or bad at. Help us all to consider ourselves to be students on this path of following you. In fact, that's what Jesus calls his followers, disciples, learners, each of us trying to find our way, trying to figure out what it means to love and what it looks like. In our context, in our relationships, Lord, we want to love more like Jesus loves us. And so, Lord, this week, help us to open our hands to you. Help us to have soft hearts towards you. And we start with this honest opinion that sometimes the things that Jesus says make absolutely no sense to us. So, Lord, we ask that you would give us the courage to give it a try, uh, to talk about it openly with our friends and family that are also struggling in the same ways. So, give us some, uh, some practice this week. Conversation where we are tempted to escalate it or give an injury back or an unkindness. Lord, if we're going to practice this week, if we're going to try to live that out in thoughtful ways, we pray that uh, you would, every moment of each day, fill us with the overwhelming abundance of your love. For Lord, if, if we don't have your love, if we're not aware of it, if we don't understand that you've already called us good and righteous, that when we fail, we'll simply turn backwards, give up, quit trying. So Lord, may we leave this place fully convinced that when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, it was not a metaphor. It was something he would practice in a few short years. 
He would give one cheek and then the other. He would give his head, his hands, his feet, his side. He would give his entire body for the love. So this week, as we walk with you, when we're tempted to look at those around us and say, Lord, <laughs> life would be great if it weren't for the people around us. Help us to remember why Jesus gave his love and his mercy and his life, that it was, in fact, for the people. Help us to do the same in every interaction we have. Help us to fall on your mercy when we don't. And help us to give your love every chance we can. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus.